welcome to a future for us and happy new year i am your host joelle alexandria and i conduct audio documentaries interviews and stories as it pertains to us in our modern world check out our instagram a future for us and for inquiries email a future for us 99 at gmail.com if you want to get to know me a little more follow my public account at joelle.a.alexandria j-l-e-l-l-e and my twitter at wjoelle in this episode i sit down with vanessa gallant the producer and now documentarian and her journey to document how COVID-19 has impacted the field of education in the United States for students and teachers alike. Her new COVID-19 documentary, Toxic Positivity, is an independent film about the toxic positivity surrounding our lives, and we fail to acknowledge the inequity and inequality in education. I actually thought this was a pretty clever title because many people are really trying to make the best of their current situations and assume other people have the same agency as they do, thus creating a false reality that everything is okay when it's actually not okay. Join us as we talk about Galant's behind-the-scenes journey through the making of an indie film, including her interviewing anecdotes, the demographic of her interviewees, anti-propaganda in documentaries, measuring the success of this feature film, as well as the desired final product of the documentary. Welcome to part two of Creating Toxic Positivity. So did you, I know you haven't started the formal interview process, but with the casual interviews, are you still getting people's opinion on on COVID-19 and how it impacts education? Yeah, I am. So my, my plan right now is, um, again, I am starting um, fundraising soon so that I can actually like get rolling on what I, and purchase what I need to start actually doing the formal interviews. But the thing is, is that I can't end the film until it's over in real life. Like, we're still in COVID, it's still happening. So if I talk to people, I can't really do an interview and be like, so how did it end? Because we don't know how it ends yet. Um, So I kind of have to wait for it to be over in real life before I can start really crafting the ending of the story and like really figuring out exactly what points I want to make because they might change. I mean, they change week to week. Like, I mean, Chicago right this second, there's like a whole thing going on in Chicago that's really interesting. And, you know, before that, there was a lot of stuff going on in LA. Like, it's just, there's so many stories and I don't know which ones are going to be the biggest ones yet, you know, and which ones should be the ones that are focused on time will tell. Um, But until until I'm at that point, I'm going to keep talking to people. I, I, first of all, I just love talking to people and learning about their experiences. I think it's just really fascinating and interesting. Um, there have been a few people that I've, I've interviewed that I followed up with just to be like, Hey, so we talked three months ago, how are things now? And like, I've kind of followed up to like, you know, get a perspective of like the whole journey of the whole school year. Um, so there's been a few people I've been, tapping and um, talking to throughout the whole school year but there there's others that like I I just learn their basic experience and then I may or may not follow up with them 
but I'm going to keep talking to people until it's over, until I'm ready to do the formal interviews. And the more people I talk to, the more data points I have. Like there's no bad, there's no downside to talking to more people. There really mm-hmm. isn't. So you mentioned Chicago and LA. What was happening in Chicago and LA? It was, there was a lot of um, concern with like um, teachers um, being in the classroom and stuff like that. There was just like a lot of stuff with the union. There was Chicago, what's happening right now though. On the day of this interview, the Chicago Teachers Union is refusing to do in-person work and instead wants to continue teaching remotely because of health and safety concerns which would constitute an illegal strike. This information was provided by Chicago Sun-Times. And since the interview two weeks ago, Chicago public schools insist their plans to open school for more in-person learning has been vetted by the city's health department based on the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention guidelines. And both sides have agreed to a mediation. And the teachers union says a strike is absolutely the last resort. Still, the safety remains a top issue. The Chicago Teachers Union wants more specific safety thresholds to be reached before telling their members to go back into school. Thus, only 14% of teachers report to school. As of this current Thursday, January 28th, 2021. Quoting the Chicago Tribune, Chicago Teachers Union leadership continues to direct their members who support pre-K and cluster programs to remain home. Therefore, we must ask parents to continue keeping your children home as we are unable to guarantee adequate staffing levels to cover in-person learning, states the message to families by the Chicago Public Schools. This information has been provided by the Chicago Tribune, Eyewitness News, ABC Channel 7, and the Chicago Sun-Times. Clearly, this issue has yet to be resolved. And as we all know, hindsight is 2020. The teachers are like about to strike, I think, um, because the city of Chicago, they were virtual, all the public schools, and then they were like, we're going back in person. And the teachers and the teachers union has been backing them up being like, it's not safe. And also the teachers union has been arguing that um, the city isn't providing schools with what they need to make sure that it's a safe environment for teachers and for students. Um, And I have been learning too that unions are like, depending on where you are, they're very different. Like some unions are kind of like, it's fine to go back to the classroom. You guys are making a big thing out of it. And then Mm -hmm. some unions are like, um, you know, like in Chicago where they're like, no, we're not doing this. And I think think it was the first day back was, I think it was January 4th was the first day back and um, a bunch of teachers did not show up. Wow. Yeah, so that's why like a lot of people are thinking that Chicago teachers um, and the union are going to strike, um, which is going to be a big deal because that's a big city with a lot of schools and a lot of students and a lot of teachers. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But again, that's happening right now. Like even now as we speak, like there might be new developments that are happening. Well, that's very interesting. And it's interesting to, to hear, like, teachers don't, don't, they're saying they don't deem it safe, right? Like, it's not safe for them to come back, but then the unions are like, yes, you must go back. There have, I have heard some cases like that. I think, 
I think the unions, and I actually, one thing that I, I plan on doing next is I actually do want to talk to a bunch of um, people who work for the unions and get their perspectives. Um, I haven't done that quite yet, but that is um, a plan. But from, and again, I'm hearing this from the teacher's perspective, so it, you know, um, you just got to keep that in mind. Um, some, some teachers in certain states and certain cities I've been talking to, like, have talked about, like, they just didn't feel like their unions did enough for them to make sure that they feel they feel comfortable and protected, like, going back to the classroom. Um, others have told me, oh, my God, my union's amazing. Our union rep is, like, they're killing it. They're on top of it. They're making sure that everybody's, like, you know, on board. We're on the same page. I think it just depends on who, who you're working with. So you, you actually, you wanted to have an ending, but you don't think like the predictions right now are accurate? I don't know. I don't think anyone knows for sure. I've been talking to some epidemiologists and some doctors um, and such, and like there's predictions. We don't know how accurate they are. I mean, and I also think back to like all the predictions that we've been told through 2020 related to this virus. And like most of them weren't accurate like or they were like half accurate or whatever so like i mean i think the predictions now are much more accurate than they were in the past because i think people learn from their mistakes um when coming up with these theories about what's going to happen we do have a virus uh, i mean a vaccine now for this virus and um that that's very i, I feel very optimistic about it and i think it's going to be um it's going to help us move forward as a country mm -hmm. <laughs> and get us back to some kind of normal. I don't like saying normal because I don't think that it's ever going to go back to the way it was before. Probably this a new normal. A new normal, yeah. So I, we're just not going to go back to the way it was before. There's no way. Um, yeah, like you can't really predict anything that's going on, but you want it to have a definite end. Yeah. Do you want it to be, like, you want it to be something op optimistic or maybe open-ended? I think I do want it to be optimistic as well as somewhat open-ended. Um, like I said I, earlier, I'm not interested in making a film that has a very specific agenda, and I, I'm not trying to make something where like people watching it and they're like, this is the answer to fixing all of education, and they walk away no, thinking like that is the one way to fix it. There are so many ideas out there about how we can improve things, and I'm really interested in showing a few different ideas and a few different perspectives on that. And like I said, I think my... I think the ultimate thing for me is I will know this is a successful um, film if people watch it and they get inspired to do something. Mm -hmm. um, if they see one of these ideas in the film and they're like, oh my God, like so-and-so is talking about let's um, continue virtual education. Like maybe that's a whole road we should actually consider going down. We just need to do it right. And if someone's really passionate about that and they think that's a great idea, they might then get involved with their school board or they might actually run for a school board um, a committee uh, seat and see if they can actually make real change. Because that's the thing too, as I'm learning is that the school boards, I mean, I think we all know this, like they, they make the decisions for the local schools and stuff, but I don't think people really pay attention to school board members. I know I didn't before I started working on this documentary. I really did not know who the school board committee members were in my town and I didn't really care. Um, but now I'm realizing it's like, no, that's actually it's that's actually really freaking important, and people really should be paying attention to that because you have some people who are not like focused, and they're not, you know, in it for the right reasons. Like 
they can really screw stuff up and these are kids that are going to be adults one day and it's like you want their education to be good like whether you're you're a parent or not you should want that you should want the next generation to be thriving and be well educated um so yeah that that's how i i think i'll measure success in this film is if somebody even if it's just one person is like i love this one idea i heard in this film i think i'm gonna go do something about it yeah it's, i completely understand like a call to action but something that's more more subtle more tailored to that person based on what they believe yeah whatever speaks to them i just don't want to do one idea and be like this is the thing that's gonna fix everything. Like, no, that I don't. I don't believe in that. Anyways, I don't think that there's always one solution to every problem. I think there can be variants, and I think that there's some power in that. So, when you were talking about having the resources to to do the documentary all online, what will it look like? Because I I imagine it looking like maybe graphics to like open up your screen next to the interviewer and then like you guys are talking then maybe the journey of the research will be screen recording like looking up the articles I, that's that's how i always imagine it what do you imagine it as yeah very similar um one thing another role that i'm hoping to um raise money to fund is an animator because i think animation is going to be key in this film um, when you make films, generally you have tons of interviews and then you have what's called B-roll. So it's all the footage that's non-interview. So it's like someone like talking about the school system and then you have a shot of somebody like, you know, it's like a camera going down a hallway or something like that, or like students in class raising their hands. I don't have those options. I can't do that. Um, I am actually hoping to get some screenshotted footage of like a virtual class um i i would not be able to go into an actual school and film like that would not be allowed um right now um and i just won't have a lot of options for b-roll so like i do think that we need visuals in the film so i'm thinking that i need to work with an animator to really you know um create some really cool visuals uh, to go along with what people are saying. I also imagine some great graphics. Like I, I do hope to also work with the graphic designer to create some like still graphics that could be used for stuff. Um, yeah, it's and there's gonna be lots of stock footage as well. Okay, so when you're looking for interviewees that are in the education system, whether as students, teachers, or other professionals who can who can legitimize different claims what are what's an accurate depiction of the average citizens of the united states so like what demographic are you looking at in terms of occupation age income ethnicity ability yeah so with this film i am specifically interested in focusing on uh communities that are economically disadvantaged um so Title I schools, for anyone who, who knows education, like um, there's schools that are deemed Title I schools, and they're in areas where there's, you know, a high percentage of low income or poverty in the, in the area, and they receive extra funding to help create more resources for those kids. Um, so I'm really interested in Title I schools. Um, one thing that is really, really important to me in this film is something that I'm really passionate about is diversity. Um, I do want to make sure that anyone that's in this film, like we have, like I want to make sure that we have all different um, races, genders, um, uh, ages represented. That is really, really important to me. 
Um, I, I just, that's just something I do with all of my work because I just think that that's the right thing to do. Um, and especially since the film is taking place in the US, the US is all different things, all different demographics. So it's really important to me that my film, the people in my film reflect what the United States actually looks like. So you'll go to different communi communities across the country and follow them? Yeah, so um, thankfully through TikTok and all the other social media, when I put out posts about like, hey, I'm looking to talk to people like this, I've gotten more specific since I first started. And um, I have been getting some people from the communities. I, I'm willing to talk to anyone in these pre-interviews, like literally anybody who's related to this stuff, because I just think all um, input and, and opinions and stories are really um, interesting and important. Um, but as I narrow down who I'm going to interview in the final film, I do want to make sure that like it is the areas that I'm, I'm interested in focusing on. Have you been impacted by COVID-19? Me personally, no, I'm very lucky. Like I, part of it is that I haven't really left the house too often since all this started. Um, I'm from Boston and Boston was hard, was hit really hard pretty early on. And um, I knew a bunch of people who had it, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not into that. I'm not getting that. So I kind of have been taking it extremely seriously, and I haven't gotten it. And I've, thankfully, like no one in my family has gotten it either, which I'm so thankful for. And knock on wood, I hope it stays that way. Um, I do know some people, like friends and friends of friends, who have been severely impacted. People that I'm talking to in this documentary, I've talked to several people who have lost somebody um or had it and you know have had complications from it i spoke to one teacher who had it back in april and still hasn't recovered and i spoke wow. to this teacher i think six weeks ago so that would have been december um yeah and uh yeah i i've just been really really lucky and uh knock on wood i hope it continues yeah do you have any interesting anecdotes on how to interview people or how to get the most information in a way that's not invasive or just more comfortable? So I'm going to give the advice that I hate being given. Um, ask good questions. <laughs> it's really all about the questions. And it is really funny. I, I also am really interested in like psychology. Like I think psychology is fascinating. I, I spend a lot of my free time reading about it because I'm a nerd like that. Um, and one thing I, I've read about is like, um, there's been all these studies about even like word choice. Like there's two ways to ask a question, but even the word choice can like cause a different answer. And they've done studies with specifically like police, like police, like there'll be an accident, right? Um, a car accident and there's all these bystanders. Like they had police officers, like one ask people, the bystanders on like this side of the road, like the question this way and then question slightly differently this way. And they got different answers, even though all these people saw the same incident. Like, it's just very interesting to me. So I spend a lot of time agonizing over my questions and really thinking through like, what what do I want? How do I want them to answer? Like, what am I what am I looking for in their response? And then being like, does this question lead them to answering in the way I want them to? And I will say, like, I think it takes years and years of experience to get good at that and figure out how do you ask questions that pull out the the information. 
Um, I also like to ask a lot of questions that are like kind of vague, but I'm like, you know, this question could be about you or like, you know, as a country, like I ask a question a lot um, in interviews, like what lessons do you think have we learned throughout this process and what positive changes do you hope to see in the future based off those lessons learned? And when I ask that question, I always preference it with, so this question, when I ask you, you could talk about yourself as a, as a teacher or as a parent um, or the country or just like your school, like whatever makes sense. And then I ask questions like that too. And it's always interesting to see how they answer and what perspective they answer from. Oh, that's nice. Keeping it open-ended, but still like guiding them to a, a different answer. That's interesting. Do you have any anecdotes where you've had to use different forms of the same question in interviews and got different responses? Anything specific that you've done? Yeah, actually I had an interview earlier today. I kind of did that with, I asked a question. I'm trying to remember exactly how I asked it, but I asked about what the challenges have been. It was a teacher I was interviewing and I asked her like, what have been the challenges of teaching in a hybrid model? She's teaching half her classes in the classroom with her and then the other half are chiming in virtually through Zoom. So she's having to teach to a bunch of kids in a classroom and on a screen and make sure she's not, you know, leaving either one behind. Um, so I was, I was talking to her about that and it was like, how, how have you been like managing that? And um, she kind of started talking about um, some of the challenges, but then kind of went into the silver lining of like, but I'm actually realizing some kids do better in a virtual environment. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then I asked her the question about like, so what positive changes do you hope come in the future? She's like, oh, we need more virtual. Like we need more virtual in the classrooms. Like that's gonna like change everything. If we can have like kids that prefer virtual, just do it virtually. And it was just really interesting. Um, like she kind of started off with that. And then I was able to just get her to like, um, by a asking a slightly different question, get her to really go into that in detail. And she had some really great ideas about how we could make virtual work and like better than it is right now. What were her ideas? Um, she just had some ideas about like, you know, allowing kids to kind of work within a virtual environment. Like, cause some kids just do better in a mm -hmm. virtual environment. Like kids, like I've been actually hearing a lot, like kids with ADHD, which to me, I was like, ADHD which I do I do understand that that brain and that thought process so I'm like I don't see how you could sit at a screen all day and be okay especially a kid but what they're saying is that it's actually okay because they can get up and stretch and they can even run around in a circle real quick to burn off some extra energy if they need to and then be right back and be fine whereas if, in the, if they were in a classroom they'd be bugging other kids because they have all this excess energy that they don't know what to do with and like some kids who have different learning disabilities like they can actually like kind of pace themselves differently if they need to in a virtual environment whereas in the class environment it's like everybody's got to be on the same page everyone's doing everything mm -hmm. together and she was just talking about how like we should really look at incorporating more virtual um you know lessons and and lesson planning um and use that kind of in the future because some kids just aren't doing so much better with that like, that's actually kind of cool i like that yeah, and classrooms definitely have that unanimous kind of assembly line feel where, like, a lot of people talk about this, especially on YouTube, like, the model of education and how it needs to be reformed from when it first started, because it actually started as a way to introduce students to assembly line working or being part of an assembly line that actually produces products. 
So I think that's very interesting. And there's a lot of people saying that we need reform and education already. So this might be the push we needed. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm really hoping. And you're absolutely right. Like I actually grew up in a town um, that was a, a mill town and all the workers worked at the top of the hill and they walked down the hill. They walked over this bridge. And when I was a little kid, there was like the bridge was still there from 1850 something. And I was terrified of it because I was like the way it was built, like the holes, there was like holes, not holes in it, but like it's like a grid. That's uh, like how it was built, like oh, a grid. Yeah. And when you're when I was like five with really tiny feet, I was terrified my feet would go right through the holes. Like, <laughs> um, but that was the bridge that they used. And then the mill was on the other side. So everybody worked at the mill and it was assembly line and the school was right next to the mill. That was the school I went to. And that school was originally just like it is today, like teaching kids like, okay, there's a bell. And that's when you start and you hear another bell, that means stop. And that's what they did in factories. Mm -hmm. And that's what we still do today. And it's very much like you do the one thing and then you move on. Like I was talking about like with the film industry, they still do that assembly line thing where it's like, okay, your job is you, you set up a light. That's it. That's what you do. You set up lights, but you don't get to design how the lighting goes, but you get to set up the lights. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh God, couldn't live. Like, yeah, seemed, some people are fine with that, and that's cool, but that's just not me. Yeah, it's, it's definitely very interesting to see how it's going to progress. So, being a producer, there's, like, so many interesting things that are happening with COVID-19 that can be discussed, or that that can be discussed but don't have to be discussed. So, especially in your documentary, how do you deem what's essential or not if it's not going to be, like, a series of things progressing? If it's going to be one long-form film... How do you deem what's essential to the film or what's or what's going to be cut? That's a really good question. Um, I haven't totally figured that out yet. Um, that's something that comes in editing, really, because mm. what generally what you do is you record more than you need. And it that I always I struggle with that because I, I, I hate doing that thing where I have to call someone or email someone and be like, I'm so sorry, but I had to cut you from the film. Mm. I hate doing that because I feel like I'm wasting people's time. But um, the, the thing is that you have to do what's right for the story. Yeah. And once you're in the editing room, especially with documentary filmmaking, like we don't have a script per se. We, we kind of do. We have outlines. We have treatments. Um, but you know, once you're in the editing room, that's really when you are crafting the story and you're making everything work. Um, so it's hard to say right now, like what exactly will get cut. Um, but one thing that I've been really thinking about and trying to plan for is current events, politics, mm -hmm. how much I want to talk about that stuff. That is a whole thing, and I could I could make like three separate movies, <laughs> just that. And um, but the thing is that I can't ignore that stuff because, you know, the way that the government, state government and federal government, how they reacted to COVID and what they did and didn't do directly impacted the students and the teachers that are in the film. So I do have to include some of that because um, it is part of the story, but I don't want to go too deep into it um so i think that's more the stuff that's going to get cut because i know myself and i and i think this is like most filmmakers like we do want to go more detailed on stuff and then it's like no okay there, there's a point where it's like you're spending 20 minutes explaining the whole backstory of how education started it's like no no no, no. that's not what people are here to watch so i think that's more the stuff that's gonna end up getting cut um just to keep things focused and on point um 
but yeah, it, it's going to be a journey for sure, figuring out exactly which things to um, uh, keep and what to cut. Mm-hmm. What do you 100% need to address in this documentary? Yeah, um, I think the things that I really want to address in this film um, is inequity. Mm-hmm. That's really the main thing that I, I am really passionate about. Um, you know, there's a lot of stories out there about um, kids not having internet. Like, I, I think I knew this before, but I realized through working on this film, like, a lot of people don't have access to internet. It's just not even an option. Like, and I thought it was just like little pockets in like, you know, Wyoming, like in the mountains and like mm-hmm. Nevada and the desert and stuff. No, it is widespread. There are some cities, like major cities that there are blocks where you can't get internet. Um, and then that's not even touching on the surface of like people who can't afford it. Internet is expensive. Not everyone can afford it. And not everyone can afford laptops and devices and stuff. So. You know, when COVID hit, it was like, okay, everyone's gonna do school from home now, and you're just gonna log in on your laptop, and it's like, okay, let's back up here. Some kids don't have laptops, some of them don't have um, internet, and some schools were really great, and they provided devices and hotspots to kids that didn't have it. But it's like, are you really expecting these kids like to figure out a hotspot in a laptop if they've never done this before? Like. I'm not confident some adults could do that, like never mind kids. So um, there's stuff like that. Um, There's also stuff about like, um, just sort of what um, mental and physical impacts all of this has had. I mean, everyone's at home all the time. It's like, what is that doing to kids long-term, like developmental, um, developmentally and Um, emotionally Mm -hmm. they're not building relationships like I get you know I talk to kindergarten teachers and I've talked to some parents of some kindergartners and it's like this is where they learn to share this is where they learn you know things about playing nicely together they can't practice any of that they're just being told like whenever you're allowed to be near another child you should share with them and play nice but they're not practicing that so Mm -hmm. it's kind of weird so I am a little I'm very interested in seeing what experts and others have to say about those things. And then really the last thing is the future of education. Really the goal of this film is to to answer the question, what lessons have been learned and what changes can we make in the future to create, you know, positive changes and make things better for the future. Education is just so important. It's so important. And I don't think people, I don't think people think about it as much as maybe they should. That's my personal opinion. It's just like, I really do believe that a lot of issues that we have in the country and maybe even the world stem from ignorance. And it's like, if we just put a lot more time and effort and energy into making education awesome, think about all the problems that that could solve in the future. If we have a whole bunch of really smart people graduating from K-12 schools, and just taking on all the problems and fixing them because they have the skills and they they have you know they've learned things the proper way so they are equipped to do so i just really think that education is just so important yeah and education is people definitely aren't talking about it in the traditional sense but edu- education has is ever changing it goes beyond the classroom but people see it as very very rigid and something that should be avoided at all times or at least not prolonged more than necessary even though in life like 
we are being educated every single day. Yep. It's yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be be looked at. In response to this current pandemic, what are some important themes across the education system that you've seen? The main themes that I'm seeing is um, with teachers, teachers just not having the tools or the skills to adapt. I've talked to a lot of teachers who are veteran teachers and they're like, I feel like this is my first year again. And mm -hmm. even teachers who have only been teaching for a few years or even if it's their first year, they're like, teacher school did not prepare me for any of this. And you know, um, they're just taught, this is the one way you teach. This is how we do it. This is how we've always done it. This is the right way. And now we're like in this new thing and some of them are just not skilled at some of these things. And now they have to figure out like, okay, what Google like classroom or whatever platform I need to do to like have my sixth grade class, like learn about, you know, anatomy. Like they have to like figure that stuff out and like, there hasn't been enough time for them to really figure it out and plan it out well. So there's been a lot of issues with that. Um, I, the other themes I'm seeing are with inequity, really. It's just like, I mean, I've heard stories about a student, I was talking to a teacher in Seattle who said one of her students um, is homeless and lives in a shelter with one of their parents and they have a phone that they share. And the student has to go outside with the phone and there's like, I guess they live in like, um, the shelter is like kind of like an outdoor like co-op type thing and there's a main office building um in the area and she goes and sits outside of the office to pick up the wi-fi so she can go to school on her, on the phone and i was like seattle it rains a lot there and she's like yep I'm like so what happens when it rains she's like she doesn't come to class i'm like <sighs> and then i'm hearing from older kids like high school kids like the dropout rates are insane right now, like unofficial dropouts, because like if they're virtual, like some kids, like some kids, they have part-time jobs to help support their family. Yeah. They have other responsibilities and people aren't taking that into account. So like sometimes like kids need to work to help their parents like pay the bills and parents can't find work right now. Like some parents can't find work and kids aren't like, maybe the only jobs that they can get right now are during school hours. And like, they have to help put food on the table. So this is what they're doing and they're not attending classes. So there's just like all this stuff um, about just like not, I guess it's really comes down to like, just not being accommodating enough. And I don't think it's the teachers not being accommodating enough. I think it's the system as a whole is not being accommodating enough to um, really make things work for students. Oh, and parents, another theme that I'm seeing is with parents is um, this has been really hard on them, like really difficult for them. There's younger kids who they need extra help. They need a lot of help because they're not reading yet, you know, mm -hmm. and they're like, I need to unmute. What's that? Like, I don't know what that button is. I can't read it. Um, so we're seeing stuff with, um, that with like parents having to be super hands on. That's really difficult if mom or dad is trying to do the kid and they also have a full time job that they can't lose because, you know, bills. So I think this has just been really hard on, on parents as well. Yeah, I, I think it's just been hard on everyone, really, just parents, teachers, students. It's just it's a lot. But yeah, a lot of the um, themes I'm seeing are just coming down to like not having resources. Thank you. Um, where can we expect to see it? So you said it'll be, it'll be published online. Will it be on YouTube? And 
So right now the goal is to put it on Vimeo. Vimeo. Uh, Vimeo is like a more professional version of YouTube. That's how I usually describe it. Um, it's uh, it, the reason why I'm definitely thinking about Vimeos is Vimeo, the quality of videos on, on Vimeo are just so much better than YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, and then also um, there is an option where I can actually charge people to rent the film or buy it. And I do want to do that. Um, I'm not going to charge a lot, obviously, but like charge something just to like help because Vimeo isn't free. So like I need to like cover that cost. So that's why I would be charging just to cover the subscription cost of Vimeo. Um, yeah, and I don't know exactly when it's going to be available because, again, I need to wait and see what happens in the world before mm -hmm. I can figure out what exactly is going to happen in the film. Like, what I don't want to do is end the film and be like, and we're still in COVID and nothing has changed, you know? Like, I want to I be able to end the film with like, okay, and then post-COVID, here's what we are doing and what, you know, we're thinking about doing in the future and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I also hope to get it into some film festivals and film festivals, if you do well in a film film festival, then that kind of opens up some doors to like potentially getting it on some bigger platforms. I mean, like if you do really, really, really well, then like you end up on Netflix or Hulu or something like that. I, as much as that would be awesome, I would not say no to that. I'm not expecting it though, but I would like to see it maybe like on a smaller platform um, where you know more people would have access to it. There are some like platforms that are specifically for documentaries um, that you know they do get a good amount of traffic. So I would love to see if I could get a, get uh, the film on one of those platforms. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, um, I have a website toxicpositivityfilm.com. Um, that's where. Um, I'm keeping updates on the film. I also have an option to sign up for an email list. I'm doing email blasts from time to time just with like some updates on the film for anyone who's interested. Um, we have an Instagram, a Facebook, a Twitter. Um, and then I mentioned I have a TikTok. I didn't make a TikTok for the film because it seemed silly, but I am planning on kind of using my TikTok to talk about the film and um, you know give updates. One thing that I keep getting asked for is like, I want to know like what you learn. Like, can you just do a video on TikTok or like Instagram, just like talking about what you've been learning? So I actually plan on starting that soon. I'm going to start doing some videos on um, Instagram, TikTok, maybe Facebook that are just like, here's some stuff I've learned. Um, and yeah, the Instagram and Facebook, it's just toxic positivity film. And then Twitter, it's kind of a weird handle. It's film toxic pause, P-O-S. I couldn't fit the rest of the word in there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's what it is. And then TikTok, I'm uh, Vanessa Iant. And do you also have a YouTube for Toxic Positivity? Oh, that's right, I do. I, I created one. I haven't done anything with it yet, but I will soon. Um, so, yeah, there is a YouTube Toxic Positivity film. Nice. And do you want to plug any email for, for inquiries people may have? Yeah, inquiries, I would just say go to the website and you can reach me through the website. Um, again, that's toxicpositivityfilm.com. And uh, yeah, there's an option like contact us. There's like a sign up for email. So you can definitely reach me through that. Awesome. Or any social media, really. Like I do keep a pretty close eye on my direct messages and comments and stuff like that. So what's one thing about this film that you're excited to see? There's a lot of things I'm really excited about. If I had to pick one though, I think I think the thing I'm most excited about is hopefully getting positive reactions to um, some of the ideas that are being presented in the film as like a way to make things better in the future. Um, so I really hope that 
um, people enjoy the film, first of all, and learn something from it. And I hope that maybe some people are inspired to maybe like, you know, be more aware of what's going on with education or like inspired to like get involved and try to make things better for the future. Yeah. And only then can we create a future for us. Thank you for listening. That was so good. <laughs> All right. So now I'm going to. Thank you for listening to part two of Creating Toxic Positivity. If you'd like to hear the beginning of this interview or other interviews that a feature for us produces, continue streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you stream. If you're interested in hearing how COVID-19 has impacted other social and political spaces, check out another podcast I'm in called Six Feet Apart, featuring Lucy Stark, Ahmed Khaldun, and Cassandra Minot. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and wherever else you stream. Please check out Vanessa's content, Toxic Positivity Film, on various social platforms including TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And definitely reach out to her if you're interested in participating. Her website is toxicpositivityfilm.com. We'll definitely be following we'll definitely be following her on her journey and a future for us. So stay tuned for more of her project. I'd also like to welcome a new series. I love these interviews and documentaries so much, and I will be adding a new genre to the mix. A special guest who I really enjoy talking to. Until next time, stay safe and stay sane out there.